All right, so we are going to be uh, this morning, uh, and actually today only, in the book of Philemon. Um, we were in the book of Colossians. We just finished that last week. And as we were trying to figure out the preaching schedule and where we were going to go next, I'm like, why? Well, Philemon is connected to Colossians. You'll see some familiar characters here as we go through this, but I looked and I couldn't find a, a pastor that I know that had preached on Philemon. But, but I had sort of already opened my mouth um, and read through that and was encouraged about it. So we're going to preach through Philemon. Um, it may be a book that you're not familiar with or that you haven't, maybe you've read it, but you haven't studied it. Uh, I don't know that I've ever done a devotional from the book of Philemon. But I want you to understand that it's directly connected to Colossians. So as we've been going through Colossians, realize that Philemon was written at the same time. And it was written by the same author. It was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And then he even sends it with the letter to Ephesians and the letter to Colossians that we have been studying. He sends this letter at the same time with the same messengers. To Chickas, right? And Onesimus. Those are the guys that are bringing these letters back to these churches in these areas. And I want to say a couple things. If you do have any familiarity with Philemon, I want you again, as I do a lot of times, let that go. All right? Because this is a letter, it's a, a private letter, but the intention was that it was going to be read in public. Okay? When you look in the first couple of verses in verse 1 and 2, you see who it's from. It's from Paul. Timothy is with him. And it's to specifically first Philemon. But then it says in verse 2 also, Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So he was writing this. It's primarily addressed to Philemon, but it's also to what was probably his wife, maybe his son, and then the church in his house. So it's just going to go to the whole church. Just as they had read the letter of Colossians to the whole church, they were going to hear this letter as well. This wasn't going to go to Philemon's desk and him put it over on the side and put it away. This is going to be something that was known as well. And so Paul is not writing to the general government. He's not writing to the culture. He's writing to the church. This is a letter within the church. And that this is a letter not about the institution of slavery. This is a letter about relationships. And particularly the relationship that we'll see between Philemon and Onesimus. It's about the relationship between two individuals who are completely distinct, completely separate in regards to their class, in regards to their standing, in regards to their power that they had. But I want you to understand this history between Paul and between Philemon and between Onesimus, okay? Because all three are involved in this letter and all three are included. Now, Philemon was a slave, Onesimus was his master. So, again, oh, thank you. Philemon, see, she's been studying with me. I told her I would do this. Philemon was the master. I'm testing her. She's passed so far. Philemon was the master. Onesimus was a slave. So, this is a relationship like we talked about in Colossians. One that had authority, and then one that was under submission. 
And if you guys remember, as we went through Colossians, and particularly in chapter 3, we spent an entire week talking about these relationships of those over with authority, and then those under with that are in submission. It included wives and husbands. It included fathers and children. And then it included slaves and masters. But if you remember, the majority of that passage, as Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, was about this relationship between slaves and masters. There was one verse about wives and husbands, one verse about children and fathers, but then there was like five or six verses about slaves and masters. Like this was what he wrote, this is what he instructed them about. And so I want us to read that that little passage in Colossians because these letters are sent together. He's giving them understanding. And as we're going to see, this letter is actually application of this instruction that he gave in Colossians. So if you will, look at Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 22 through 4.1. I just want to read that section again. This is the instruction he gave regarding these relationships between masters and slaves, between those in authority and those under submission. He says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the application. Every week as I go through God's Word and as I try and teach, I want us to understand it, but then the point is that we'd actually, under, we'd actually apply it in our lives. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word, but we'd be doers of the Word as well. And this is a real-life situation where Paul is giving an example, he's making application of this teaching that he's given to the church. And he's going to show how this relationship, and particularly the relationship between those of different classes, between the slave and this master, how it should be reconciled. How it should be reconciled if they're a part of the church, if they're both sons of Jesus Christ. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He had probably stolen from Philemon. He was Philemon's slave previously. He had probably stolen Philemon's property. He would have taken from Philemon and he would have gone. He would have left. And at some point, Onesimus comes to Rome where he encounters Paul and where he comes to follow, he comes to know Jesus Christ. And there in Rome, while Paul is in prison, Onesimus is ministering to Paul, is caring for Paul, and has a relationship with Paul. And Philemon, we find out, is also a believer. And he's this apparent leader in the church there in his house. He's come to believe the gospel. He's come to follow Christ as well. And we'll see later in the letter that it was probably also through Paul's ministry that he came to know Christ. And so Onesimus, who's been there with Paul, Paul is now sending him with this letter, and he's returning him. He's a runaway slave, and he's saying, I want you to go back. I want you to take these letters. And he's written a letter to Philemon saying, this is how I want you to perceive Onesimus. This is how I want you to receive him. And so I want us, with that in mind, now to read Philemon. All right? 
entire letter. It's one chapter, 25 verses. Okay? We're going to read through together. Philemon, I'll read first in English and then Haiti in Spanish. This is Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this is a letter, as I said, about relationships. <clears throat> and those relationships involve individuals. And we, we know of Paul's reputation, right? We know of, of his background. We know who he is. But what about Onesimus? Does it say anything in here about Onesimus or his background? And some of that we have to understand from other passages, understand from the culture. But I think that Onesimus's reputation to this church that he was returning to it could only be negative. I mean, he was a slave that had run away, that had stolen property, that had left. He would have had a rap sheet, right? You'd have run the background check. If he'd have showed up in our doors, like, well, who's this guy? Let's run a background check on him. We would have seen all of his history, all of his past. He wouldn't have had a reputation in that church, and actually he'd have a negative reputation. That's Onesimus. But Philemon's reputation, you can see here, Paul describes it in verse 4 through 7. This you here in verse 4, it starts to be, it's a, it's a specific you. This is Philemon that he's talking about. And he says, that I remember you, I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. And then we see his reputation that Paul has heard of, that Paul knows about. He says, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ for all the saints. 
He's like, I've heard, I know about you, I know your reputation, Philemon. I know that you have love for the Lord, you have love for the saints. Your faith has been Christ and you demonstrate that as you love God and as you love others that are around you. And then in verse 7, you can see Paul has had much comfort from Philemon's love. He says, from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So again, this is Philemon's, this is his, his reputation. He's like, I know about you. I know how you love God. I know about your faith. I know how you're caring for the brothers and the sisters around you. I know that you are actually refreshing them. Okay, and it gives us this idea. He was probably a wealthy man and he probably cared for and met some of their needs. Is this idea that they didn't have to labor as hard because he would help give them rest. All right, so he was caring for the church in that way. And that was the reputation that Paul knew of Philemon. But then if you look in verse 6, he says, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm praying for. Actually, your future reputation. This is what I want to happen in you. I know how you are. I know you're an amazing part of the church. You're caring for the church, loving the church. But this is what I'm praying for you in verse 6. He says, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is the sharing of your faith. Literally means that same word sharing there is the same word for fellowship. It's this koinonia. Like they had in Acts that they were sharing all things together. They had all things in common. He's like, I want you to share your faith, share your belief in Jesus Christ completely with those around you, with the community that you're a part of. And he said, I want you to share your faith, right? That you believe the Word of God. That you believe the gospel and you believe it so much that you'll actually respond to it and act based upon it regardless of how you feel, regardless of the environment, regardless of the situation because you believe and you trust God. I want you to share that faith with the church around you and I want you to share it in a way that it would become active and powerful. That it would be effective. I want your faith that you share to become effective. And as it becomes effective, what's going to happen? The gospel is going to become known. Right? For the full knowledge. For the complete, for the perfect knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What's he talking about that's in us? What did, what did Paul say in Colossians? He's like, what's inside us? We have the hope of glory, Christ in us. He's like, that, Christ has been placed in you. You're putting on Christ. And I want that to be made known perfectly, completely, as you share your faith, as you believe and act together, and as you respond for the sake of the gospel. That's the purpose of this letter. That's why Paul is writing to Philemon. I want to see this happen in you. And I want to see this happen, particularly through this relationship with Philemon, with this slave that ran away that's now returning to you as your brother. I want to see that lived out. I want to see your belief in the gospel actually make its way into this relationship. I want you to share that with your community. And as you do that, it's going to be powerful and it's going to be active and the gospel will become made known in its fullness perfectly amongst those around you. That's what I'm praying for. I want the gospel to be known deep and wide in your community. That Jesus Christ would be made known. That's his prayer. Is that what we're living for? 
Is that the, the, the point? Is that the vision that we have for Livingstone? Like that Christ would become made known amongst us, that He would be made known in this neighborhood? Is that our vision? Is that our same prayer? Is that our purpose as a body? And this was going to happen in this case through reconciliation of this horizontal relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, between a master and his runaway slave, between two individuals of very different classes who had now both experienced this reconciliation with Jesus Christ. And I'm reading, I'm like, can that actually occur? I mean, really. Okay, we're reading it, and you guys might think, well, yeah, okay, that's cool, let's go, what's next? No, I mean, really. Stop and think about that. Can that actually occur? Could that occur amongst us? Could we have these relationships where people could be reconciled horizontally that make no sense, that come from completely different social classes, that come from backgrounds completely different? Can that really happen? Because this was what was going to happen. And he's saying, what I want to happen is that you would bring him in. And now together, as I've been talking about in Colossians, that together you would put on Christ. Together, you would put on Christ after the knowledge of the Creator, after the knowledge of Jesus. Because remember, the next verse in Colossians says, because here, because here in the church, there's no distinction. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free. There's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, right? There's no distinction. And he's like, can you actually live that out? Is your faith strong enough? Because if you do that, if that occurs, your faith will become effective. Your faith will become effective to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I couldn't let this go by without talking about our vision statement. I'm like, Philemon connects with our vision statement? I had no idea when we put our vision statement together. I, I had not read Philemon. I had not studied Philemon. And, that, you know. and I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, look at this. Like, this supports exactly what our vision statement is. You guys can read it there in English or Spanish. A reconciled, we've been reconciled with Jesus Christ, and then we're reconciling horizontally as we live out and as we put on Christ in these multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-class for what reason? Centered around the gospel. This is our vision. This is what we want to be, right? A vision is our future state. Like, God, would you make us this? Would you, we put on Christ. Would you make us look like this? And as we look like this, it has the opportunity to put a full demonstration of the gospel in this place. Our faith could be effective as we move towards that. Those two things are connected. We can't dismiss that. That's what he's saying here. To Philemon. Through the power of the Spirit that lives in you, this can happen. So for our faith to effectively and fully make the gospel known, we must voluntarily engage in these types of relationships. We must live in reconciled, multi-class relationships of unity and love in the church. Let me say it again because I think it's what was the big idea for Philemon. It's a big idea for us. For our faith to effectively and fully make the gospel known, we must voluntarily engage and live in reconciled, multi-class relationships of unity and love in the church. 
Because as you look at verse 8, he says, accordingly. So based on all this, based on everything that I've said, for this reason, with that being the case, now look at verse 8 through 10. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ, or now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. As he appeals, he's going to appeal that this relationship be reconciled. And he says, I want to appeal to you that it be reconciled through unity and through love. And so I want to just explain what's left of this passage is this idea of how he's going to reconcile through unity and love. Because this is how Philemon was to be reconciled with Onesimus. It's how we're to be reconciled with each other, regardless of our class, but specifically when there are these distinctions, when there are these differences between us. There has to be unity, and then we have to respond in love for the gospel to be demonstrated, for our faith to be effective. So let me show you the unity in the relationship first that Paul had with Onesimus. And each in this letter, Paul gives his example with Onesimus, and then he asks Philemon to follow it. Okay? So look in verse 10, because Paul has a shared identity with Onesimus, the slave. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. My child. He says, whose father I became in my, in my imprisonment. He's like, this Onesimus, he is my child. I actually, the word father, he's like, it's like I fathered him. I labored on his behalf. I poured into him. I worked for him. I cared for him. I discipled him. I have loved him. I have spent time with him. And he is my son. He's like my child. That's who Onesimus is to me. And then look in verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That word for heart is, is the, the seat of his emotions. It's like down in my gut. He's like, I am I'm emotionally connected to this man Onesimus. Like, I care for him deeply. And I'm going to send him back, but it is like going to rip me apart because I have this deep relationship with him. That's Paul's shared identity with Onesimus. He's my son. We're family. And we are emotionally attached. Like I am attached to him and to his life. That was Paul's relationship. So what's Philemon's opportunity for the same shared identity? Look in verse 15. Paul says, "For This is perhaps why he has parted from you for a while. He's talking about Onesimus. That you might have him back forever. But then it says how he would have him back in verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. So he's basically saying this, this might have happened perhaps, or this, this is perhaps why he's parted. This in the, in the Greek is understood like, okay, it's completely, God is sovereign over this. And maybe God is working in this so that he left you for a while, that he could be reconciled with God, and that he could return to you forever. Not as a slave, not as a bondservant, but as, as a brother. Maybe God is do, was doing that. Can you see this, Philemon? Can you see this, that this is what the opportunity is? That you could be reconciled with Him forever. It could be a spiritual, eternal reconciliation that you could have. Maybe God is actually over this and in this and is working in this. So your relationship could be transformed. And so I want us to think about when we share the gospel, when we are sharing our faith with other people, 
when we're speaking to other people, when, we, when we're living in front of other people, when we're doing this, do we have the idea in our heads that, wow, if they come to know Jesus Christ, if they come to be saved by Him, if they're reconciled vertically, then they're going to be my brother or my sister? Do we really believe that? Do we think about that? I know we believe it. I know we have it in our head like, yeah, we'll be brothers, we'll be sisters in Christ. But no, I mean like that we would actually live out our lives together, connected as family, as brothers and sisters, no matter who you are, no matter what your background. If you come to know Jesus Christ, if you're reconciled to Him, then we're going to be connected. We're going to have this shared identity as sons and as daughters. Do we think that? Do we believe that? Or do we just enter in sometimes? Well, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to speak. Because uh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I feel kind of guilty. And, you know, I need to kind of win one for Christ. And that would be great. And he can be reconciled with God. But really, this doesn't have anything to do with me and him. Or me and her. And I can tell you that many years ago, when Larry came off the L train. Or when I came off the L train. And Larry approached me. I was just thinking about what I could do to kind of get to the next point. Okay, I'll have this. Okay, I'll, I'll engage this guy. Okay, well, I'll have this burger with him. And even when I came to the point of sharing the gospel with Larry, I never had in my mind that Larry Bailey would be with me, living with me as my brother in this incredible relationship where he's like, he's in my house, he's with my kids, he's at the birthday party. He's like, he, if, if we're there, Larry's there. He's part of my family. He's my brother. That wasn't even in my head when I first engaged with Larry, when I shared the gospel with Larry. But God has done that over time. I said, wow, Larry is my brother. We have this eternal relationship, right? We are reconciled. We are trying to live that out. And that's an amazing relationship. And it's a relationship that I was not even thinking about, but yet it's part of us sharing our faith. We can't dismiss it. We can't cut it off. So do you have that expectation? Do you have that expectation with each other? Do you have that expectation when you share the gospel? No matter who it's with, no matter their class, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their language they're speaking. Do we really believe that? Like, wow, you could be reconciled with God and we could be reconciled with each other and we could have this relationship. Really have a relationship. That we could share an identity as brothers or as sisters, that we could be sons and daughters of the King together, that we would have the same Father, that we'd be part of the same family, because that's the reality. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's good. I mean, you know, it's good if it happens, but isn't that really a little bit extra? I mean, it's something that's good, you know, if it, if it comes about, but should it really be part of our vision? Should it be part of what like we seek to be, that this would actually happen amongst us? As living stones? And I would say yes. I would say yes, because it's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity for me, it's an incredible opportunity for you, and it's an incredible opportunity for the gospel. There is great benefit in these relationships, and specifically these reconciled relationships that make no sense. There is huge benefit in that, and I want to show you that. Look in verse 11. He says about Onesimus, he says, Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
What is Paul talking about? The name Onesimus literally means useful. The name Onesimus was a name that his master would have given to him that they gave to slaves. Like, this is my slave, useful. Okay, This is my slave, he's beneficial to me. Okay, that was the name that he would have had and they would have understood that that's what he was referring to. And Paul is saying, look, he used to be, he was your slave, but he was useless to you. But now he is beneficial, not just to you, but to me as well. This is a beneficial relationship that we have with him now. His relationship as a slave was not useful. His relationship as a brother is beneficial. It's so beneficial. Now hopefully... You might accept it. You might acknowledge it. You might concede to it. But he says, I know you're going to do more than even I asked. I know you're going to go beyond. And isn't that what it looks like? For us to be obedient, not out of obligation, but for us to be obedient out of love. Obedience is doing what's required. But with love, we exceed what's required because with joy, we've embraced it. Like, this is what God has asked me to do and I'm going to do it and I'm going to go beyond it and I'm going to love in this way. I can't command you. But I do want to appeal to you that this is be what we are. This is be our vision. On Friday, I was sitting on my sofa and we were about to go running. And if we're in the house with four kids in Haiti, right? Life is pretty crazy and transitions are difficult. People are running around like we were going to do a family run, right? Everybody's got to go. Everybody's got to go around Landark. You know, mom and I are going to go. We're going to run. Karina's going to start with us. Everybody's got to do laps. You know, you're doing your thing. You're moving. Annalise is getting ready and I go, she's over on the other side and she's my four-year-old. And I say, Annalise, come here. And, and amazingly, she did it the first time. <laughs> but she runs from the door, comes over to me on the sofa and she jumps up in my lap and she wraps her arms around me and she plants one on my cheek and just lays into me and kisses me. And then she gets off and walks away. And I say, Annalise, like, why did you do that? And she says, because I know when you say, come here, that's what you want. <laughs> and then she said, or you're telling me to stop fighting. <laughs> but in this case, that was what I wanted, right? But all I told her to do, all I commanded her to do, I said, Annalise, come here. She stopped everything she's doing. She came to me and she went beyond what was commanded. She knew what I wanted. She knew what my heart was. And she jumped up in my lap and she kissed me and she loved on me. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that's what I'm asking of us. That we would embrace this. That we would go beyond, in a sense, what's being commanded. That we would be compelled. That we, that we would receive this appeal. And that we'd be willing to open our lives. That we would share our lives. That we would share this identity that we'd have. That we would be unified with one another. Regardless of our background, regardless of our class, regardless of our language, regardless of our ethnicity. And that we'd love each other. 
Because it's beneficial. It's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for me. And it's beneficial for the gospel. So that's my prayer. That our faith, and sharing our faith, we would be effective. These relationships would be reconciled. And the gospel would be made more accurately known. That Jesus Christ would be honored. That He would be glorified. Father, Thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for this letter to Philemon. I thank you that in your sovereignty you have included it in your instruction to us and you have included it in your revelation to us making yourself known. God, that we see in this letter the type of loving Father that you are. God, and I thank you that you have invited us in. Lord, that we can have this place of honor and this place of intimacy as your sons and as your daughters. And God, I pray that through your Spirit, God, that we would be not just reconciled to you, but reconciled to each other. God, that we would live out the gospel together in these relationships here in the church. And that we wouldn't make distinction, Father. And that we would embrace these relationships because they are beneficial and they are good, Lord. Help us to be unified and help us to love one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.